Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Jordan Stanley Payne. Jordan, how are you doing? Phenomenal. Man, thank you for uh, taking the time to sit down with us today. I, I know you're an extremely busy guy. Um, why don't you take a second to kind of introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about what you do in the real estate and entrepreneurial world? Yeah. For, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's been long overdue, man. Um, Absolutely. Definitely, definitely enjoy spending time with guys that are doing big things. Um, like you said, Jordan Stanley Payne, I'm out of Montana, tiny little, uh, tiny little town that no one's ever heard of. Um, primarily I would consider myself a business owner that happens to do real estate as one of the, uh, one of the parallels that I do. So I've been in business for, since I was 19 actually, and real estate about the past five years, real estate wise, mainly multifamily. Okay. So when you say you consider yourself a business owner, what does that mean? And, and it sounds like you have other other businesses that you have outside of the real estate world. Is that correct? It, it, it is. So when I say business owner, a lot of people will say, well, RJ, I'm a wholesaler or I'm a, right. I'm a fix and flipper. All of those are a subcategory of who you really are. You know, if, if you're doing your business right, you're a business owner. So that, that's really how I try to look at it. And I think... I think real estate is a phenomenal tool, but I, I think there's a lot of great tools out there. Gotcha, man. So when you got your start back when you were 19 years old, uh, what was your first entrepreneur moment or business that you kind of dove into? Yes, yeah, so I graduated high school and uh, I immediately left. I went to uh, Columbia, South America uh, with a church organization. And w was there a long time, I mean, almost a year and, you know, really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I went to Colombia because I wanted to, to try to help people. And when I came back to the United States, um, RJ, you've traveled quite a bit. I, th I think you probably understand when I say uh, it was a little bit weird trying to adjust back to what we consider normal, quote right. unquote, normal in America. Um, so being in a third world country for a while, I had took me a while to adjust when I came back. Um, my, my parents um, have been entrepreneurs most of their life. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I told my dad, hey, man, I want, I want to get involved in business. And my dad, I mean, I'm 19 years old at this point. My dad went out and bought me a company like that weekend. <laughs> so my, right? The perfect, perfect responsibility for a 19-year-old kid, right? Right. So um, the first business, and this is like old school, dude, um, it was a big box van. And the whole basis of the business was I'm going to drive around Montana, which is a massive state, and I'm going to hawk um, Montana shot glasses and souvenirs and coffee mugs and stuff like that to gas stations to sell to all the tourists. Gotcha. So that was kind of that, – that was my first – business thing. I mean, it was a, a legit business had customers set up and I just drove around to gas stations. That's hilarious. Did he even ask you if that was something you want to do or he just, you said, I want to be in business of some sort. And he said, okay. And he just picked the random business. 
Yeah, I mean, he 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 had been buying and getting into companies for a while. I think that business was on his radar. Um, he got into it for almost nothing, right? Um, but no, I mean, really, really, no communication. You just said, "Hey, look, this is what we're doing," and you are now a business owner, and you need to figure it out. Um, kind of gave me a crash course in like profit and loss statements and stuff like that. But I I I took it, I ran with it, and I completely bankrupt that company. <laughs> How did you do that? I man, I had no clue what I was doing. And I, I, I think, I mean, looking back, I really think that my dad probably guessed that that would happen. Right. I mean, I, I don't think he wanted me to fail, but I think he probably said, hey, look, this this is something that definitely could happen. But um, kind of cool, out, out of the ashes of that company, um, and it completely tanked, you know, my, my confidence was was shot. But out of the ashes of that company, we kind of rebuilt the idea and um, ended up building a distribution company you know rather than driving around montana we, we came up with a warehouse and a distribution company built up that company and sold it for over a million dollars uh, a couple years later wow that's pretty impressive so so you very quickly learned from your failures there I, yeah man I, I had to right so you know you you created the distribution center sold that business what what did you do next from from that point um, also had ownership in a, uh, a freight brokerage, um, something my mom and dad still own now. So I, I had ownership in that and was working with those guys. It was uh, basically a freight brokerage that would find uh, truckloads for the, the trucks going up and down the highway. Um, long story short, that, that one slowed down, so I ended up kind of getting into corporate America. And uh, I'll, I'll transition this to real estate for you. Um, I, I was working corporate America, and I'll never forget my dad. My dad came in and handed me rich dad, poor dad. And he said, look, dude, you, you've got to figure out a way to do it differently than I did. So my dad had, I mean, just tons and tons and tons of companies when I was growing up. And he never had passive income. So as companies would succeed and as companies would fail, the one thing that he was always lacking was passive income. So gave me the book and said, you've got to figure out a better way to do it. Gotcha. You know, and it, one thing I did not realize is, is when I started the podcast, is how many people are impacted by the Rich Dad Poor Dad book series and just Robert Kiyosaki as a whole? I mean, it is, it, it's almost at 75% of the interviews I've done, their stories start with reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. So, you know, it's, incred it's incredible. And I, I myself read it when I was probably, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. And I remember just, the impact it had on the way I thought about money and my life and what I wanted to do, you know, moving forward financially. So after you read that, you know, kind of walk me through the mindset shift that it gave you and, and what you chose to do moving forward. The mindset shift was um, if I continuously trade time for money, you know, I'm going to die at some point and have really nothing to show for it. Um, I'm really, really big on generational wealth. You know, when I die, am I leaving my kids a pile of debt or am I leaving my, my kids true wealth? So that book really opened up my eyes to that. And I didn't quite get the passive income thing at the time. So did a bunch of research online, um, heard about wholesaling. Uh, I found a local mentor um, and dove into wholesaling. Um, I did wholesaling primarily for about 10 months and did well. Um, I think we did just over half a million dollars my first 10 months uh, wholesaling. 
Awesome. And was that in Montana or were you virtually wholesaling? A little bit of both. Um, we had it, it, Montana's a little bit weird. Um, it's such a big state that some of it I would consider virtual. Um, in Montana, we had two main markets. Uh, we were doing Tulsa, Oklahoma, Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and we were doing two markets in Ohio. Gotcha. And I completely understand that because I'm in Texas and, you know, everybody assumes that's not from Texas, that just because we're in Texas, that buying in Houston or Austin is the same as Dallas Fort Worth. And it's like, no, that's a that's a virtual market for us. Like that, that is not a quick, easy little drive. And I'm sure it's very similar in, in Montana. Um, in let, let's talk about that real quick in Montana though. Is it easy to find buyers in that market? Is there, were you selling fix and flips rentals? Like that's kind of a unknown market, I think, to most. And so I know you had your other markets, but you were still doing some things in Montana. So what were you, how were you able to build a buyer's list in a smaller market like that? And what kind of deals were you able to wholesale? Yeah, for people that don't know, Montana is one of the biggest states, um, but it has one of the least amounts of population. So RJ, I think all of Montana, I think we're barely over a million people. Wow. Don't don't quote me on that, but it's like 1.1 maybe. Right. So our our main cities, like our biggest city, is less than 200,000 people. So I actually think it's easier in a smaller market to identify who's actually making moves. You know, um, even in a 200,000 person market, you know, there might be five six guys that are actually doing stuff. Right. And. You know, by reading the book, by having a mentor, you know, I was able to go out and, you know, identify who these guys were pretty quickly. Gotcha. And it's funny because some of the markets that you chose to virtually wholesale in are also not like huge markets like Tulsa, Oklahoma is a, you know, we, we invest pretty heavily in Tulsa and that's a relatively small market as well. Um, I don't know much about Charlotte. I, I've heard that, that now at this point in time, it's pretty booming. Um, yeah. and, and then also Ohio, that's, that's mainly like cash flow rentals, correct? Yeah, for sure. So, so we, we did chose, you, we, did you strategically choose those markets because they were similar to Montana and in the ease to find the cash buyers and identify them like you're talking about? No, we, we specifically chose those markets because, um, the guy I was working with had relationships with people that were already there. Gotcha. So like in, in Tulsa, he, you know, he already had a buyer that he he knew, know, like, and trusted. Same with Ohio, same with Charlotte. Uh, he was doing stuff pretty actively in Charlotte. So um, if you have, and this this goes back, age age long debate, right, RJ? Mm -hmm. Buyer first or deal first? For, for me, my experience has been, if I already have somebody in Charlotte, I already know that they're buying, I already know what they want to buy. It's very easy for me to jump in, especially virtually, and try to go find them what they're looking for. So that, that's kind of the approach that we took. Right. And see, <clears throat> I know that there, like you said, this is a heated debate. Um, and just the way that we built our company is the complete opposite. You know, we've always focused on getting the deal and the deal will bring us the buyer. I don't think that means what you did yourself was wrong. I, I mean, I had wished I had had the buyer first, of course, 
Um, I just, I didn't have anything to bring to those buyers and I didn't know how to reach the buyers, you know, as a newer wholesaler, you're ignorant on everything, right? Like you don't know how to find deals and you don't know how to find cash buyers. And you, you, at that some point in time, you have to make the decision on what you want to focus on first. Right. And for you and, and what you teach to some of your students is go find the cash buyer first. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's just for us, it was, I felt if I go find a really good deal and part of that was because I was in a booming market like Dallas Fort Worth. So my thought was, is I go on a local Facebook group for real estate investors in Dallas Fort Worth and there's 40,000 members. I mean, if I find a good deal and I put it up there, by God, it's going to sell, Right. Sure. So I, I didn't have to go find the buyer first. I was in a, a market that buyers are just, you know, falling off trees. And so it is a heated debate. And I've seen some of those on social media. You and I are both big on social media, specifically Facebook. And um, it's crazy how people get so wrapped up and, and uh, heated about that, whereas there's nothing wrong. You know, you and I took two different paths, but we actually ended up um, our first year we did like 700,000 in wholesale fees and your first 10 months you did like 500,000. That's pretty close to being on the exact same path. So yeah. to me, it's not like one's right and one's wrong. I, I agree. And we, and we could probably talk about this for hours. Um, you, you said something really key there when I found a good deal. So right. th this is where people get, get tripped up. You're, you're describing what you thought was a good deal. Right. So what you think is a good deal might be different than what I think is a good deal. So I think when, when people start to market for a good deal, I think that's where they get a little bit tripped up. It's like, well, you know, am, am I going to find a buy and hold deal or a fix and flip deal? You know, like, am I using a random formula like ARV times 0.70? Mm -hmm. So same outcome, two different approaches, both of them work. And I think I think people just need to look at what's in front of them. You know, do I have a relationship with anybody yet? If not, maybe you start looking for deals. And you you brought up a good point. A good deal can be completely different to multiple people. And one of the things that I did because I went and found the deal first was I left money on the table as a wholesaler because mm -hmm. I did not know what my buyers wanted or what their criteria was. And so I was selling deals extremely cheap to find those cash buyers. And then come to find out, you know, just using round numbers, say I got a deal at 70% of ARV minus repairs. What I didn't know was, is my buyer was willing to buy at 75% of ARV minus repairs. So I was leaving a good chunk of wholesale fee on the table because I did not know the buyer up front. That is what I think is the big difference on not having the cash buyer before going out and marketing to find deals. So anyways, moving on from that subject, because like you said, we could talk about that for hours. Um, you already had your your buyers lined up in, in the different markets and you began wholesaling. And so you did the, the 500,000 in your first 10 months. Where, how did, did you transition from that or did you continue wholesaling or what did you do after those first 10 months just wholesaling? I'm going to say something really unpopular. Is that okay? That is perfectly fine and welcome here. My, my definition of a wholesaler is somebody that for a living gives away every great deal that they find. 
I like it. So I, I had that, that epiphany, that, that, that paradigm shift at some point, And I said, I said, well, well, sh- well shit, I'm, I'm good at finding deals. I'm good at negotiating deals. I'm good at building rapport, you know, with buyers and sellers, but every great deal that I find, I'm giving it away. I've got to wake up tomorrow and do it again. You know, back back to the whole rich dad poor dad thing. I I basically was trying to fast forward and say, okay, ten years from now, am I still going to be just doing this day every single day? So right around that time, um, through my marketing, I met I met a guy who is now my business partner here in Montana, and he basically said he said this is what we're going to do. You're going to market. We're going to find deals. We're going to buy them. We're going to keep them. I said, well, great. Well, I don't have a lot of money. He says. Great. I don't have any money. So we kind of we, we, we ran into this thing where we wanted that generational wealth. We wanted that buy and hold that passive income, but we really didn't have any money. So we started we started researching like crazy. You know, how do we do a lease option? How do we do owner financing? Mm-hmm. We don't have any money. How do we find private money? So we kind of had this three, four month period where I mean we were just consuming everything that we could and Sure enough, man, we started we started getting into deals and started getting really, really creative. And now we've got, you know, a seven figure portfolio a couple That's years amazing. later. So I, I want to go back to how you kind of started that that statement there about a wholesaler. You're you're giving away every good deal that you've ever found. And I agree with that because I've wholesaled hundreds of houses over the years. And now at this point in time, I am obsessed with creating passive income for myself and creating that generational wealth that you're talking about. And just this past week, um, and I like to share these examples so everybody knows, like I am very active in this business. Like I am, this is my passion. The the, the podcast and the the you know Propelio TV shows that I do is like my way of giving back to inspire people, but I am full-time real estate investor. This is what I love to do. And uh, I'm buying a deal from a wholesaler in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's a great deal. And it's going to create you know passive income for, for myself and for my partners and for my company for the rest of our lives. We, we have zero intentions of getting rid of this. Um, it was a very tricky deal. Um, there was a, kind of a a seller that was a little bit uh, difficult to deal with in getting some of the lease paperwork and in a timely manner in order for us to do our due diligence. And we weren't able to line up our financing in time for the closing date that the wholesaler had set for the, for the property. And this, this actually this past Monday, um, you know, my partner and I wrote an email to the wholesaler and we said, look, just based off of the delays in getting the the leases and the paperwork and our ability to do our due diligence, we don't know if we're going to be able to perform on this deal um, in, in the time that has been set. And the wholesaler wrote, you know, we started text messaging back and forth and he was very upset and very emotional about it. And um, he wrote, you're costing me a very significant fee and you need to make that right. And <laughs> I, I just, I called him and I had a conversation with him and I said, first of all, you have to put emotions aside. Like there's just not a place for it at this point in time. And what you need to understand is, is that I'm not out to get you. I'm not out to call you know, make you lose your wholesale fee. I want you to make your wholesale fee. 
Um, I hope it's all of the money that I'm paying for the deal. I hope you got the property for free. I hope you're making a killing on this deal. At the end of the day, though, you need to understand you're getting paid one time on this deal. I'm getting paid on this deal for the rest of my life. If this deal falls apart, who do you think is more upset? I'm going to promise you it's not going to be you, Bubba. It's going to be me. I'm planning on owning this house until I die, and it goes down to my children, and I hope it goes down to their children. So, you know, as a wholesaler, you do kind of have to shift your thought process a little bit because I used to be that guy. I used to get that emotional and that upset during those deals. And what he didn't realize was is he did not provide me all of the information I needed as the cash buyer to perform. And that's why the deal was falling apart. And he thought it was because I didn't care and I, you know, I didn't care about what work he had done on the deal or anything like that. And that's not the case. And a lot of times that's just because as wholesalers and not everybody, I mean, there's very talented and experienced wholesalers out there like Brad Chandler. I mean, he's, he's a genius in this industry, but for the most part, wholesalers are the newer wave of real estate investors. And just, that's kind of my food for thought for the wholesalers out there is just realize um, that for someone like myself, who's buying and trying to create passive income, uh, it's much more important to us. Than it is to you as the wholesaler because we're going to get paid for a lifetime, not a one-time fee. So that's my little rant for today's episode. But I like it. I like it, man. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know if you've had a similar experience to that, but uh, it, you know, when we are buying stuff that's creating that passive income and that generational wealth that we're so obsessed with, uh, there's really nothing more important to you than that. I mean, don't you feel that way? One hundred percent. Yeah. I, I really I really think wholesaling is like the gateway drug to real estate, right? It's like Absolutely. it's like the the, the, the marijuana of, uh, of of real estate. Um, so part part of what I try to get people to realize, like I I kind of throw a little bit of shade at wholesalers. It, it's a joke. Um, I still wholesale, but the the point that I try to get people to, and RJ, what I really like about what Titanium is doing. Is you guys are I'm going to use a relevant term, right? I'm going to be culturally okay here. You guys are quote unquote. You guys are woke, right? So right. when it, when you're marketing and when leads come in, you guys have the financial literacy to say, "Man, that is not a hold. Man, right. that is not a flip. That is strictly a wholesale deal." And you have the relationships just to assign that deal, or you guys have the the literacy to say, "Look, man, that would be a great buy and hold." So back back to my my statement earlier, you know, people saying, "Jordan, I'm just a wholesaler. I'm I'm just a fix and flipper. I, I I just I think people need to be literate enough to look at every single deal. I think you would agree with me, RJ. If somebody calls you and they want to sell, they actually want to sell, you can do something with that. You've got right. you've got real estate agents on your team that are licensed. They can list it. You guys can you guys can assign it. You guys can fix and flip it, or you can buy and hold it. Right. That's that's that, that's the be all solve all. Like in my mind, that's where people need to get to. Because if you if you're saying I'm only going to wholesale, you're missing out on tons of opportunities. Absolutely. You know? Ma- Absolutely. Maybe they would have maybe they would have lease optioned it to you. You know, and, you, and rather than getting a five thousand dollar assignment fee, maybe you could have gotten seven hundred dollars a month in passive income. Right. So I think a big part of all of this, and I think kind of kind of what we're talking about right now, is you've got to be aware 
as a wholesaler, as a buy and holder. Like my one thing, I've got that book right in front of me. Right. My one thing is I'm a buy and hold investor in real estate. But I'm not a, I'm not afraid to assign deals. I'm not afraid to, you know, give it off to somebody on my team that can fix and flip it. Right. And the other thing is is like you're talking about is being aware of the the leads that come in, you don't pass them off immediately to one or the other strategy. Like actually try to think outside the box and always start with how could this create passive income? How can I capture equity, create passive income, and create that generational wealth? I, I use a good example. We have a deal in Hawaii that we're buying for $633,000. There's, there's not many people that would look at a deal, single family deal for $633,000 and ever think that that could be a buy and hold. You know, I mean, it's just that's a that's either a wholesale or fix and flip just based off the price point alone. With a couple of days of due diligence and really digging in and figuring it out, what we found out is, is that property with very minimal rehab can generate close to ten thousand dollars a month in rental income. Now, it's a it's an amazing buy and hold for us. And that. That would not have happened a couple of years ago. And just for myself, I would have only looked at that as a flip or a wholesale. And like you're talking about, that just comes from a mindset shift and having that financial literacy that you're talking about to to and the desire to to make sure that you're you're making passive income a huge proponent of your business. You know? So yeah, you know, for for you, I know you're you you've actually uh, kind of bragging on you recently. I saw on Facebook that you retired your wife based off the passive income that you've been able to create. Is that correct? Yeah, we replaced about one hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars of her income from W two job with passive income. I mean, that's amazing, and that that came from extreme dedication to creating passive income. Correct. Oh yeah. I mean that that had to be your your main focus. And so when you moved on from the wholesaling to now okay, we're going to create passive income. Did you ever go into the fix and flip world at all or did you just go straight from wholesaling to now we're going to try to have buy and holds? Uh, another unpopular uh, statement. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I want to be your most unpopular interviewee, right? Like Todd's got nothing. <laughs> Todd's got nothing on me, man. Like, um, what people don't realize about fix and flip is, I mean, you, you fix and flip a property, you can make thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred grand, whatever, right? Right. I, I can I can do that with buy and hold, dude. So right. I never got into the fix and flip, but I I fix and hold. You know, we'll we'll go take a fourplex or an eight or a tenplex, you know, that's got maybe two tenants in it. You know, not even enough to really cover the mortgage. We'll go in, completely revamp the property. You know, we'll I'm I'm value add on everything that I do. So we'll go in, we'll add value to both the income and the physical side of the property. And then like um you had uh what Tim Bratz on here earlier. Yep. It's a strategy that these guys do. Um so we'll do that and then we'll refinance it, we'll pull out a hundred grand. Right. Well, in Montana, you know, that would take you several flips to do a hundred grand, you know, just based on our market. 
Right. So I never really got into the flip game, but I'm very aware of adding value to a property and being able to, we, we call it shuffle the deck. I'm, I'm very aware of how to shuffle a deck within my portfolio to create cash and cash flow. Right. And that's important. You know, I mean, and, and what you just talked about, I mean, it's, I think you're seeing more people talk about it now, but you know, the value adds and then the cash out refis where you're able to, to, you know, bring in some money, tax-free money to, uh, you know, help with the operating costs and future marketing and things along those lines. You know, at, at this point in time, you know, you're buying multifamily and you're building your portfolio. Do you have specific markets that you're working in or is it kind of when the, the opportunities and the deals come, if the numbers are there, you're willing to take it down? So thus far, um, primarily in Montana, we've been in two markets. Um, okay. I've owned properties in Wyoming and we've owned stuff in North Dakota but man, I'm I'm really big on I have to have a team. I've got to have a team wherever I'm buying and holding. So I mean that could be as simple as property management that has maintenance people. I mean it, it could be that simple. But um, one of the things that has really allowed us to win is by by far I think I have the best team. So myself, my business partner, my private money lenders, my bankers, my maintenance guy, my property management people. The, the the cleaning companies that work with us, um, you know, we've got agents that, that just work incredibly hard for us. So in my mind, to duplicate that in, you know, even in like Dallas, it would take me a little bit. Right. You know, like I, I know I know guys like you and, you know, I could probably come up with a team over there, but the relationship that I have with my team here would be hard to duplicate. Right. So we're we're primarily in two markets. Um, I'm considering getting into a couple markets in Ohio as well. Gotcha. And see, I I'm right there with you, man. Um, we we would never be able to do half of what we do in these other markets without the teams that we have set up. And those teams make us look really good because you and I are uh, both very active on social media and we talk about our businesses and, you know, we kind of brag on what we're, you know, our teams are out there doing for us and we're, we're kind of the faces of the organizations. Um, but without the teams, you know, we're, we're nothing more than a, a couple little keyboard warriors on Facebook. So well, that's um, what, that, that, that's, that's what's gotten me in trouble. I mean, to be honest with you, <laughs> you know, pe people that follow me on social media, you know, they're like, well, you know, the last 45 days you've just been chilling at home. Why aren't you at a closing? Why aren't you fixing a roof? Why aren't you, you know, why aren't you doing an inspection? Right. It's like, well, I have a team. Right. You know, my team works extremely hard so I can hang out and talk to RJ in the morning. Right. You know, and I mean, that's, it, it's really popular right now for people to hashtag, like hashtag hustle, hashtag grind, hashtag I never sleep 24-7. It's like, man, you guys are you guys are way more motivated than me, man. Right. Like, I, I built a team so I didn't have to do that. Right. Just like we're creating passive income, we're creating teams. Like that's yeah. that we're creating teams to create the passive income, and then we go out and we live the lives that we want to live. And I'm gonna tell you right now, there's no life I ever want to live where I don't sleep. I love to sleep. Right. I mean, I I have to. I'm old now, man. I mean, <laughs> I can't help it. 
So I, I these people that that do those hashtags, it, it it cracks me up a little bit because the other thing is, is you see those people get burned out, and I don't ever get burned out. I love what I do. I love what I do, but I don't know. I don't want to do it twenty four hours. You know, I, I want to go home. Yeah. I want to you know kiss my babies, talk about their days, play play toys and games with them, and and then you know just live the life that I want to live. And and my business is a part of that, but it's not my entire life. It, it's so. working. It's working hard on different elements, right? Like I don't work hard on driving for dollars all day. My time is better spent building a building a business. You know, same same with you. You know, your your time is better spent. You know, being a CEO and being a business owner and providing your team with the tools that they need. Absolutely. So uh, I I know that I want to kind of move forward into your your kingdom that you're building here and uh i'm assuming he's your partner i'm not sure but uh the the most listened to episode ever of the titanium vault todd fleming um and the the author of you can't wholesale this or if you can't wholesale after this i've got nothing for you um he's your your partner in the kingdom correct yeah i met todd um Probably three years ago, I was admittedly talking shit in a bunch of Facebook groups saying, man, ain't none of you guys closing deals. Ain't nobody doing actual deals. And Todd, like for a month straight, sent me a deal every single day. I was like, all right, dude, fine. Maybe you're legit. Right. Um, so at that time, I'm going to take a half step back to take a leap forward if I can. Yeah. Um, when I started that transition to buy and hold, a lot of people were very curious about what I was doing and if it was working. So I created a community called Real Real Estate. And it, I mean, it started like five people, maybe, that were just kind of following my journey. Um, I was documenting documenting the journey, everything that was going on in my life. So that that went from a couple people to thousands of people. So I had met guys like Todd Fleming, and I basically made him a, a moderator. Um, Ed and Taylor Pugh made the moderators, guys like Tyler Chef. And w literally, we just we showed up every single day and we asked the question, who can I bless today? And it's funny, man. Like When we started doing that, our businesses exploded. Like I, th I, th I think that act of giving, that act of Man, I'm, I'm going to give you everything I can. Every, everything I've got, I'm going to give it to you. How can I help you today? And it wasn't, it wasn't just me and Todd. I mean, like, when you've got hundreds of people doing that, it really created something, something unique. And at some point, we realized, like, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to burn out and die if we don't, if we don't figure out a way to, to make this a little bit more systematized. Right. So that, that's kind of where the kingdom came out of. I like that. So what, what is the kingdom now, and uh, why should people care about the kingdom? Yeah, um, the kingdom now, um, rather than thousands of people, we have hundreds of people. Um, I think we've got a member in every single state, um, Australia, Canada, places like that. Um, it's a community of hundreds of people that are aligned with a singular vision of let's get free. That's like our, our motto is let, let's get free. So um, RJ, it's, it's cool because we talk about generational wealth. Um, in the kingdom, we've got 
grandma, daughter, granddaughter. Like we've got three generations of people, you know, and, and there's there's multiple families. So, you know, we're, we're radically different. Um, we show up every single day. Um, every single day there's a mentor or a leader that will go live and teach and train. Um, we support each other. We travel everywhere together. Um, it, it really is a family that we created. That's awesome. Uh, is there a way that people can do research and find out more about how maybe they can join the kingdom? Yeah, it, it, it's a little bit different now. Um, it, it used to be just kind of, hey, anybody that wants to join can join. Um, at times, we attracted the wrong people, so we're a little bit more selective now. But um, for if you want to check out hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews, you can go to our page um, at The Kingdom Real Estate. Uh, the website is uh, thekingdomrealestate.com. Gotcha. And so I, you know, I, we, we've kind of talked a little bit about your activity on social media and I think you've kind of alluded to, um, there are, are people out there that have kind of questioned the validity, validity of some of the things that you've done for whatever reason. Um, I just think naturally you're kind of a polarizing character for, for some people. Sure. Um, how do you stay relevant in, in today's social media world? with all of the, the background noise and the, the people coming out and questioning whether or not what you're doing is legit or, or you know, the, there's the whole fire your gurus and stuff like that nowadays. How do you kind of ignore that noise and stay relevant in the so- social media world? Yeah, so my, my only response to that is we've never worked with anybody that has been upset or unhappy with, with who we are. So all, all the noise is people that have never never worked with us. How do how do I stay relevant, man? I, dude, I'm I'm laser focused on my goal. My goal is generational wealth and helping anybody that I can get there. So on social media, um, online, if it's outside of that, I really try not to focus on it. So I'll I'll challenge you on this. You'll never see anybody in the kingdom you know, lash out at other people or throw negativity at anybody. You'll, you'll never see that from us because we're, we're very, very aligned with, hey, who, who can we help today? Who, who can we help get free? And that's, right. that, that makes it pretty quiet, man. Not, not, a, lot of, not a lot of noise when, when, we're, when we're focused like that. I will say it is one of the more peaceful groups um, that I'm a part of. And uh, everybody in there is very open to learning and and they have a a drive and a commitment to help each other um and and i think that's a a pretty amazing thing that you've created um you know before we jumped on here on the podcast i actually jumped in the kingdom facebook group and asked a couple of your your people in there um you know what should i ask the the man himself and uh one of the the questions was is how do you continually uh, strive to innovate and stay creative and always grow as an entrepreneur and as a business person? That's a good question. Um, we, we actually, we talked about this last night. Um, we have a, 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 a specialized, whatever, group that we talked to. Um, last night we were talking about that specific question and the, the answer that came out of that was, you can never become complacent. 
you can never become stagnant. Um, I think I even posted that in the kingdom. Um, the, the back end definition of being stagnant is you stink. Well, dude, I, I don't want to fucking stink, man. I, I want to, <laughs> I want to continuously have a current and movement. That's like the definition of not being stagnant. So w- the conversation last night was if you're not con- consistently pushing the mark, you know, may- maybe your mark is I want to have a hundred units. You know, if you're not continuously pushing that mark, you know, maybe you hit 100 units. That's, that's where people get complacent. So you've got to, com- you, you always have to be moving that, that goalpost. So in my life, I'm always trying to be better. I'm always trying to do something bigger. I'm always trying to advance as much as I can. And if I continuously do that, I find that I don't, I don't get complacent. I don't, I don't get bored. None of that. Gotcha, man. Well, I, typically I kind of ask the guests towards the end of the interview what their why is, uh, but I think this this whole interview kind of focused around your your why. You know, I mean, you you are creating uh, passive income and and generational wealth, and then you're you're wanting you've created the kingdom, um, so everybody can find freedom. Um, is there anything else outside of, you know, those things that we've already talked about that kind of is a driving force behind what you do on a a daily basis? I'm lazy. (laughs) Hey, Hey, there you go. We, you're, you're the first honest guest we've had on here because normally people give me really fancy answers at the end. I, uh, I, 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 you probably wouldn't assume this, but dude, I'm I'm a homebody, man. Like I I I enjoy being home and hanging out with my family. Um, I I want to live a life by design, not by force. So that that goes back into the freedom thing and generational wealth and all that. But no, man. I mean, right. like if 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 people were really honest, you know, a lot of us would, maybe lazy isn't the right word, but you know, we really we we really just want to enjoy our life. Absolutely, man. Well, Jordan, I appreciate you taking the time today to sit down with us, share your journey and, and, you know, share everything that you've done. I think it's incredible what you've been able to create with the kingdom. And, uh, I know that you're, you're going to go out there and find the freedom that you want, uh, both financially and then also just the, the freedom to live that lifestyle by design. Without a doubt, man. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.